0: A warm welcome to you from inside the ESPN-UP studio. I'm Tanner Hoops. Glad to have you along for another week of the Sports Pen. Nine days till Christmas. Starting to get to that point in the year. I'm behind on my shopping, I don't know about the rest of you, but I've got that trying to work in at some point here. The sports world doesn't give you much of a break, and that was certainly the case this weekend. A lot to talk about today, including everything that happened in the NFL yesterday, plus looking ahead to Monday Night Football. What a weekend it was to be a Northern Michigan Wildcat. Come in and take down the top-ranked team in college hockey, plus win at the buzzer over your arch-rival in the hardwood. Yeah, we're going to break all that down and more over the course next hour. And the last big domino fell in Major League Baseball free agency. We have a new member of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Madison Bumgarner makes his way to Phoenix to play for the divisional rival. Plus, the Heisman Trophy was announced this weekend. All that and more we're going to talk about over the course next hour. But let's start in the NFL. A wild slate yesterday. A slate of games that taught us a lot about what we think we thought or thought we might think of the NFL. You know what I'm saying. Let's start with the Seahawks taking down the Panthers 30-24 to and it's not a big surprise that the Seahawks take down the Panthers. Russell Wilson though looked more like his MVP self. He took kind of a month off from MVP caliber play. Yesterday though he was 20-26, 286 yards and two TDs. He was not picked. Meanwhile Chris Carson with 133 yards rushing and two touchdowns as Seattle gets the victory taking down Carolina. The Patriots Patriots beat the Bengals 34 to 13. This is coming off the heels of that "quote unquote" scandal with the videographer from last week. Well, it was close until the second half. It was a 13-10 lead for New England at halftime. Ingenious coaching by Bill Belichick. Let Cincinnati hang around until the break. Then they would blow their doors off to make it look like they didn't cheat. Just outstanding coaching by Belichick and the Patriots to let Cincinnati hang around, let them score, and make it a game early on. But Tom Brady throws two touchdown passes as the Patriots clinch a playoff spot with that 34-13 win. The Buccaneers take down the Lions 30. 8-17. Eight to seventeen. Jameis Winston fairly on brand. Four touchdowns yesterday. Also threw an interception that came. Fairly early on. Overall, though, he was 28 of 42, 458 yards, plus those four TDs for a pass rating of 125. On the other side, David Blau was 24 of 43, 260 yards, no TDs, and he was picked twice. Danny Amendola with a kind of a breakout game, though, as he goes over the century mark, eight catches for 102 yards. Elsewhere, the Packers take down the Bears 21 to 13. Chicago gave themselves a chance. They had life on that final play, a few laterals, and just about found its way to the end zone, came up 10, 11 yards short, what have you. But the Packers get the win yesterday to move to 11-3. and three. They stay atop the division, and Chicago is officially eliminated from postseason contention. I tell you what, if you're a Packer fan, and I know because I was watching the game with Packer fans, you're probably pretty frustrated with how that offense operated in the first half. Second half, it was encouraging. It was good to see that Green Bay started getting a little offense going. But the Packers fans that I was with yesterday we're pretty displeased with how that offense ran in the first half. Aaron Rodgers, 16-33 to throughout the day, 203 yards, one TD. He was not picked. Devontae Adams, a big day, 103 yards, one TD as part of his seven catches. Aaron Jones ran in a couple of scores. Green Bay gets the win, and they take down Chicago. How about Kansas City making a statement in the snow, 23-3. to They take down Denver. Well, we were thinking Drew Locke might be the answer for Denver. He had his first Tough game of his young NFL career yesterday. 18-40, of 40, 208 yards, no TDs. He was picked once. On the other side, Pat Mahomes, 27-34, 340 yards, two TDs. He was picked once. Travis Kelsey, a big day. 11 catches for 142 yards as Kansas City beats Denver by 20. How about this battle for supremacy in the AFC South? Houston winners over Tennessee 24-21. Houston's kind of like the Dallas of the AFC in the sense that they've got all the talent they need but can they be good every week? Can they be consistent week in and week out? Yesterday, they were good as they take control of the AFC South 24-21. They get the win over the Titans. Houston's now 9-5. Tennessee drops to 8-8. Deshaun Watson, 19-27, 243 yards, two TDs. He was picked twice. Carlos Hyde went over the century mark, 104 yards rushing and one TD. DeAndre Hopkins doing DeAndre Hopkins things, 119 yards on six catches. On the other side, Ryan Tannehill, 22-36. with 36. 279 yards, two TDs, and one interception. His go-to receiver yesterday, A.J. Brown, eight catches for 114 yards. But Houston gets that win, and they take the lead in the AFC South. Elsewhere, a late scoring drive led by Carson Wentz. 75 yards after a costly fumble helps get the Eagles past Washington 37-27. A late defensive score just to mess with some who... We're using money for sports entertainment purposes, should we say, down in Vegas. Carson Wentz for the day, 30 of 43, 266 yards, three touchdowns he was not picked. Miles Sanders kind of did it all yesterday, 19 carries for 122 yards and one TD. He also had six catches for 50 yards, including a touchdown, as Philadelphia keeps their divisional title hopes alive. The Cardinals winners over the Browns yesterday, 38-24. Kenyon Drake ran for four touchdowns, And the Cardinals snap a six game losing streak as they all but eliminate Cleveland, who drops to six and eight. Cardinals get back on the right track with their fourth win of the year. The New York Giants 36-20 to 20 winners over Miami. Eli Manning threw for two touchdowns and Saquon Barkley looks more like his old self. Manning for the day 20-28, 283 yards and two TDs. He was picked three times however, pass rating at 88. Saquon Barkley 24 carries for 112 yards, two tutties as the Giants pull away in the second half and they appear to send Eli Manning out on a high note in what could be his final game at MetLife Stadium in a Giants uniform. Jacksonville rallies from a 16-3 deficit, and they spoil the Raiders' final game in Oakland, 20-16, is the final score. Gardner Minshew led a pair of scoring drives in the fourth quarter, one with under a minute to play as he finishes the game 17-29, 201 yards, two TDs. He was not picked, passer rating of 103. On the other side, Derek Carr wasn't too bad, 22-36, of 36, 267 yards, and one TD, his passer rating at 93. That didn't stop the black hole, as they call it, the Oakland fan base when the Raiders went over to Bid them farewell their final game playing in front of them. Then Derek Carr was booed and had nachos thrown at him. They're known for being a rowdy fan base, and the Black Hole will see their team squander a 13 point lead and give up a touchdown in the final minute to lose in the final game at that stadium. Elsewhere, Minnesota winners over the Chargers yesterday, 39-10. The Chargers turned the ball over seven times in a game where they absolutely had to be perfect just to keep pace with other teams in the playoff race. They had an outside chance of getting in, and they really don't have much of a shot anymore at 5-9. and nine. The narrative was that they were snake pit, that they had all eight losses come by eight points or less. Well, yesterday, a 29-point loss at the hands of Minnesota. Kirk Cousins, 19-25, to 25, 207 yards, one TD. He was picked once. Vikings had a multitude of players that were running the football yesterday. Nine different players had at least one rushing attempt for the Vikings. They were pretty balanced in that sense. They had seven different players catch a pass led by Stephon Diggs. Four catches for 76 yards as Minnesota keeps pace with Green Bay, setting up that matchup on Monday Night Football a week from tonight. But the Cowboys, they knock that monkey off their back by winning against a team with a winning record for the first time this season. And they do it decisively, 44-21. to The Cowboys get their first win against a plus-500 team. Dak Prescott, 15-23, 212 yards and two tutties. They had two guys rush for over 100 yards. Ezekiel Elliott did his thing, 117 yards. Tony Pollard, 131 between the two, three tutties for the day as they run wild over the Rams, who just continue to look like a shell of themselves. You had the Falcons take down the 49ers with a last-second TD, 29-22. to 22. Dan Quinn is one of those guys that's probably going to be fired at the end of the season but, man, he's got some impressive wins that he probably shouldn't so far this year. He beat the 49ers yesterday. He beat the Saints earlier this year. And they do so when Julio Jones grabs a five-yard touchdown pass with two seconds left. That proves to be the winner. Matt Ryan, 25-39, of 39, 210 yards and two TDs. Jones, 13 catches for 134 yards and two tutties to help Atlanta get a crucial win. Meanwhile, it's a very crucial loss for the Niners. Jimmy Garoppolo, 22-34, 200 yards even one TD was not picked. George Kittle, 13 catches for 134 yards. It was Kittle's first double digit reception game of the season. I couldn't believe that, but I'm thankful that they're using him as more than just a blocker lately. That cost me in fantasy when they had those couple of weeks when all he was doing was blocking, and now they're starting to put him back in the passing game. I'm thankful for it. The Niners, with that loss, presently drop from the one seed to the five seed. And then Sunday night football. The Bills with a late touchdown. Josh Allen with the game winning drive. 17 10. They beat the Steelers and Buffalo has clinched a playoff spot for the second time in three years. What's more impressive? That win last night gets Buffalo to 10 for the season. It's the first time the Bills have double digit wins in a single season since 1999. How about that? And Josh Allen, you're kind of waiting for that define me moment. Well, that might have been that defining victory for Buffalo. We knew what their record was. We knew they had a good defense. We're kind of waiting. Will this offense prove something? Last night they did. Josh Allen stepped up, led the game-winning drive downfield. I've been impressed with him this season. I didn't think a lot of him coming into the draft a couple of years ago. I didn't think a lot of him as a rookie last year. But i got to admit, for the most part... He's looked like a pretty good NFL quarterback, and he's starting to get that offense to come together at the right time as they take down Pittsburgh, and a pretty good defense allows that score late. So that's a look at the NFL from yesterday. Coming up this evening, we'll put the finishing touches on Week 15 with a Monday night football matchup. The Saints are at home. They welcome Indianapolis. Let's update our pick'em standings before we hit the break. Jake Durant and I went into this week tied. We're still tied. We are both 48 and 26, tied atop the standings. I had Baltimore, Houston, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh. Jake had Baltimore, Tennessee, Minnesota, and Buffalo, so we each went three and one so far. We each have New Orleans tonight, so we are going to remain tied after this week. Ryan Stieg and Tyree Smith, they're kind of in the same boat. They're three games back of Jake and I at 45 and 29. Ryan picked Baltimore, Houston, Minnesota, Buffalo, New Orleans. Tyree picked the exact same thing. And then John Michael Hoefling, 39 and 35. He had Baltimore, Tennessee, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, and he also has New Orleans tonight, so the Standings may change record-wise, but the game's back, what have you. We all pick New Orleans. That will be the same 15 weeks into the year. Let's take a time out when we come back. What a weekend for Northern Michigan Athletics. We'll break it down next on ESPN-UP.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP
0: app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. A big weekend for Northern Michigan Athletics. It was capped yesterday with a buzzer-beating win on the men's basketball floor, 64-61 over archrival Michigan Tech and with that we're delighted to be joined in me as PNUP phone line by men's basketball head coach Matt Mackerzak. Coach congrats to you and your squad on the win yesterday always good to beat Tech your first experience in the rivalry what a win for you in your program.
1: Thank you yeah it was a lot of fun um, you know I'd heard a lot about the game but you can't really simulate kind of what it feels like until you're actually in that environment and um, kind of had a little bit of everything in it, um, the, the highs of the early part of it, and then kind of their comeback and um, had some maybe doubts creep in the second half a little bit. And then just to finish it, obviously, on a buzzer beater, I don't think you can ask for a whole lot more.
0: Well, you guys got out to a 17-4 to lead to start things off. You're up 31-19 at half. What contributed to your hot start?
1: I think uh, you know a little bit of it is probably just how poorly we played the previous weekend. Um, I think we were all, from the players to the coaches, I think we were all a little disappointed with just how we had played the previous week in going 0-2. And practice was maybe a little, little testier than usual, a little bit better than usual. And I think we came into the game really excited to get back on the court after kind of that week off of trying to regroup and fix some things. So I think we came out with a ton of energy. And on the flip side, Tech had just come off three straight games where they'd won by 30 and um, there's a natural little sometimes um, maybe let up after having that much success so I think it was just kind of that perfect storm where you know I think we came out just with a, a little more intensity for for good reason.
0: Well coach looking at the box score you had a hefty edge as far as rebounding and bench points you got 23 of your 64 points off the bench tell me about those guys and their effort.
1: Yeah I think one of the things that's really really helped us is Um, Sam Taylor started for three years um, in the past here, and we've been bringing him off the bench just because I think he's one of our best players, and you could probably even argue he might be our best player, but he just gives us such a spark with his energy um, and his toughness off the bench that he's been willing to be unselfish enough to kind of do that role because it just helps us. Um, so that's yeah, I think it starts with that, when that, when a senior is one of your better players is willing to come off the bench. I think that sets the tone. And then um, our, our we, we're really getting deeper. I think at the start of the year, there were a few games where it really was five, six guys that we wanted to play, and we were only playing other guys because of foul troubles and things like that. And as these younger kids have just kept growing and progressing, we're at the point now where there's 12, 13 guys that – I feel really comfortable playing, and um, it's obviously hard in a basketball game to play more than eight or nine, uh, but it's a great problem to have where our practices right now are so competitive, because I think we go about 12, 13 deep of, of capable basketball players, which is, which has been a lot of fun.
0: Well, Coach, you led for all but about two and a half minutes yesterday, Tech came back and they took their first lead with 8.07 to play. What about your guys' mental toughness to be able to bear down and keep trading baskets with them and eventually put yourself in a position to win?
1: Yeah, I think that was the part of it that I was most proud of looking back after the game was not only did we win, but um, we won in such a tough and gritty way on the road. Um, They had all the momentum in the world, came all the way back from, from, you know, down quite a bit. And at that point, I think our guys could have easily you know, folded with it being a, a new group and a young group in a lot of ways. and So I was just proud of the way they kind of kept their composure about them. Um, I could see it in the huddle, and, and after two close games last weekend, I think that really helped us because we just had this sense of calm and, and confidence, even though we knew Rear Tech was good and obviously games can go either way. But I, I think we did a great job of not panicking and just kind of trusting that if we could just um, simplify uh, the game that we would be able to make enough plays down the stretch to give, our, give ourselves a chance and I think we did a good job of that.
0: Marcus Matelski hits the game-winning three-pointer at the buzzer. Was that play drawn up? Did it just kind of happen organically? How'd that come about?
1: Uh, it was kind of fun. So I, We had the ball with, I think, 10 seconds roughly to go um, and they had fouls to give um, so that we knew they were going to try to foul. So they fouled um, with about 3.7 seconds to go, we had the ball on the side, and my plan was to call timeout and drop a play um, for the sideline out of bounds. Uh, but then I kind of was looking and seeing how they were guarding, mostly because I wanted to know what they were going to do so we could call a timeout and drop a play. And as I looked, um, we had Delopo in the corner, and he was being guarded by someone that wasn't quite as quick as him. And I just, I don't know if we're going to get a better matchup than and this, because uh, they were all hugged up denying Alec and Sam are two guards, which makes a lot of sense, but they kind of left Dilapo isolated. And the only other player down by the basket was Marcus, who was also in the other corner being guarded. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to be able to draw up a play to get us a better look than this. So Miles was inbounding it, and I just said, hey, throw it to Dilapo, And it was right in front of our bench. So I, I was able to get in Delapo's ear and be like, hey, just drive. Just go right by him. You're quicker. Uh, just, Just go. And so he went, and Marcus's guy left him, and Dilapol made a great read and kicked it to Marcus, who's uh, right now probably one of the better shooters in the conference and maybe even in the country. And so we can't get a better look than our best shooter wide open in the corner. And it just kind of worked out. And uh, obviously both those guys deserve a lot of credit for making the right play down the stretch. And um, that shot felt like it took about a a year to go down. I mean, I was watching it in the air, and it was one of those slow-motion ones where – like we got a great look it's either in or out but um hopefully it goes so when it went through i think everyone was pretty happy
0: Talk with matt macker zach head coach of the northern michigan men's basketball team his team coming off a 64 61 win over michigan tech yesterday coach your first experience with the northern tech rivalry do you have a new appreciation for it
1: for sure i mean it was it was a lot of fun i mean i i in a lot of ways everyone talks about you know, kind of what a tough environment Tech is to play in. I've heard that a lot, and um, I can see why. After after coaching a game there, but at the same time, it's it's kind of it's kind of what you want. I mean, I think when you get into college athletics as a player or a coach, you want that competitive nature. You want that, um, you know, I, the bands, you know, yelling stuff out at you. I think that's that's kind of what, what I picture college basketball being. Um, and so, I really enjoyed it. Um, enjoyed the. The warm up, you kind of got the the tingle feeling um, where you're like, oh, this is special. This is a big deal. And um, obviously, you enjoy it more when you win. But um, even before the game started, I, I was kind of smiling, and going, "This is fun. This is what this is what you want, and this is why you start start doing this kind of stuff." So, um, yeah, it's the other part of it that's kind of fun is um, a lot of the players on Tech's team right now are kids that. I, me and our staff have either recruited in the past or even coached when they were younger growing up. So um, we have some, some kind of odd relationships with a bunch of their players, which I think makes it kind of fun where um, it's a rivalry and, and you want to beat them more than anything, but you also respect them and like them and um, they're great people and all that kind of stuff. So I think it, it makes it kind of what you want out of a rivalry in different facets there.
0: Well, now you get a couple of non-conference games before you hit the holiday break. Tell me about this week coming up.
1: Yeah, we got Hillsdale on Thursday um, and then Rippin' on Saturday. I think both games are, uh it's going to be really interesting to see how we respond. Um, obviously a great win against Tech, um, and now we got to go play a really, really good Hillsdale team on Thursday. And um, when you have a game like, like the Tech game, it can either be the start of something or kind of a, uh, a one off blip of a great win and hopefully we can use that that win to kind of fuel us going forward and um Hillsdale the team that's very similar to a lot of teams in our league they're a high high level division 2 team um and it is a great um uh, game for us to be able to play at home um to get them to come up here so that should be a lot of fun and then Riffins right before break and um just a kind of a a great chance for us to not have three-week layover where we play Rippon on that Saturday and then we have a week off and then we play the following week so it kind of allowed us to shrink that break to the right amount of what you'd want.
0: Matt Mackerzak, Northern Michigan men's basketball head coach, his team winners yesterday 64-61 over Michigan Tech. Appreciate the time coach, best of luck the rest of the way, we'll talk again soon down the line.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, go Cats.
0: Well I tell you what, it wasn't just a great weekend for Northern men's basketball, but both ski teams, men and women, pick up wins over Michigan Tech in a dual meet this weekend, the men winning fourteen to seven, the women twelve to nine. Hockey, they take down the top ranked team in the country Saturday night, a four one victory over Minnesota State of Mankato. It's Northern's first win. Over the number one team in the country since 2011 when the Michigan Wolverines came into the very Event Center as the top-ranked team in the country and ended up leaving with a split. And it was some of the newcomers, some of the young guns that were getting it done for Northern. They strike early in the second period. It was Michael Van Unen and Ben Newhouse who got the first two goals. Newhouse ended up being the official winner as Northern skated to the 4-1 victory. Rylan Uremko was a guy sacrificing his body, led the team in total blocks that night. And Nolan Kent, coach said it, he had a tough night on Friday night, bounce back in a big way with a stellar performance Saturday as Northern gets a huge victory heading into the break. Ryan Stieg, the beat writer for the hockey program, was on here on Friday per usual, and he talked about how important this weekend was. You've got the top-ranked team in the country here. No one's really giving you a fair shake, and you've got to get some kind of momentum going into the break, because otherwise you're going to be going into the break with a terrible end of the first half of the season and three weeks off until you play again. You've still got Mankato coming up on the schedule. A road trip there, February 7th and 8th. And Northern, after getting thoroughly outplayed on Friday night, comes back and they're going to head into the holiday break with a really good taste in their mouths. the taste of beating the top-ranked team in college hockey. But I tell you what, Northern, a this on Friday, it was announced that Northern is launching a new eSports program. Yeah, Division One eSports. It's going to be a thing here at Northern Michigan. Already is up in Michigan Tech, or at least they launched that earlier this year. I had Susan Sangra Grant, the athletic director up in Houghton, on the show here before, and we talked about what's going to be going on at Tech. And we're going to see similar things happen at Northern. We're going to have a varsity eSports team at Northern Michigan. We're going to continue to follow this story as it develops and keep you updated on the latest. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, let's talk quarterbacks. Who might have the most attractive opening for a free agent quarterback next year. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen.
1: Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP
0: app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Center update. Madison Bumgarner has agreed to a five-year deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks. How that? One of the most dominant postseason pitchers of our generation is going to go pitch for a team that hasn't won a playoff series since the 2001 World Series. That was the last time that they won a playoff series, when they won it all. Most recently, they were in the playoffs in 2017. They won the one-game wild card, then were swept out by the Dodgers. Meanwhile, the Indians trade former Cy Young pitcher Corey Kluber to the Rangers. Keep an eye out on the Rangers this offseason. They're quietly building a really effective pitching staff. Keep an eye on them. The AP All-America football teams were released today. Our area is represented by a pair of first-teamers, Wisconsin running back Jonathan Taylor and offensive lineman Tyler Biotish. And finally, as of today, it is a felony in the state of Michigan to steal package from people's doorsteps. Legislation against porch piracy was first brought to Governor Whitmer's desk in early September. The law, which goes into effect today, could cost an offender up to one year in jail and up to five years in jail for every subsequent offense. That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along, per usual. Let's get into this. I want to talk quarterbacks because we have several quarterbacks that are going to be on the move this off season. We know Eli Manning is going to look for a new team. We think Derek Carr is going to look for a new team. We think Philip Rivers is going to look for a new team. We think that Jameis Winston is going to look for a new team. Nick Foles might be looking for a new team. Maybe Ryan Tannehill. We know Marcus Mariota and Cam Newton are going to be looking for new teams several others possibly, maybe even Tom Brady, maybe. Then you've got everybody in the draft that's up and coming as well. We have got a lot to break down just out of that segment alone. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the 10 teams most likely to have a new franchise quarterback next season, and then we're going to rank them. We're going to determine which would be the best landing spot for a quarterback. What would be the best situation a quarterback could could enter. Which team would give him the best chance of succeeding? We're going to go category by category, head coach and how they benefit a quarterback, offensive line, receivers, and rushing attack. We're going to rank every team that's likely to have a new quarterback next year by those position groups and see which will give a quarterback the best shot at winning right away. First of all, here are the 10 teams that we're going to rank. I believe these are the 10 teams most likely to have a new quarterback next year. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Jameis Winston. I mean, he can consistently give you 350 yards a game and four touchdowns, but he's also going to turn the ball over way too much. It's such a weird situation with Jameis because he can be effective. I mean, he can put up numbers with the best of them. But it's such a reckless style of football. Bruce Arian's a guy who always has a comment on what's going on in the locker room. He always will give his opinion to the media. When asked, is Jameis your quarterback going into next year, said no comment. The guy who always has a comment had no comment on this subject. So as of now, the Buccaneer job is up in the air. They very well could have a new quarterback next year. I mean, yeah, Jameis puts up the numbers, but man, he's Turned the ball over 28 times in 14 games. That's two turnovers a game. 24 picks and four lost fumbles. He's got 24 interceptions. The next highest is Philip Rivers at 18. I don't know if Jameis will be the Buccaneer quarterback going forward. That's why they're on this list. I'm also including the Raiders and the Chargers. Both have aging quarterbacks that have not had good seasons this year. Phillip Rivers even said he doesn't know if he's going to be a Charger next season. So those two are going to be on the list. The Bengals are looking to move on from Andy Dalton. They have the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft. They'll probably spend it on a quarterback, and it'll probably be Joe Burrow. The Jacksonville Jaguars, I feel like they've got a guy they can go long term with in Garner Minshew, yet they remain skeptical. Now I get it, he's young, a rookie, a sixth round draft pick, but he's got more game winning drives, or at least putting his team in position to win. You think about Houston in week two, should have been a game winning drive, that was Doug Marone's fault. And he's got more of those than people care to admit. But as of right now, they're not committing to him. That's why they're on this list. The Denver Broncos, we think they found something in Drew Locke. But if they get the opportunity to get somebody else, maybe they will. That's just Elway. He's got a knack in that sense for quarterbacks. We know the Dolphins are tanking, maybe for Tua. I don't know, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is not the guy going forward for them. And it's probably not Josh Rosen either. I start to feel bad for him because he's never really gotten a fair shake in this league. I have the Tennessee Titans on this list because why aren't they committing to Tannehill? They absolutely should. Absolutely should. He's come in, and he's done wonders for that team, kept them afloat. Yet they're not ready to put a ring on his finger yet, marry themselves to him. I don't get it, but that's why the Titans are on this list. You have the Carolina Panthers on this list. We know Cam Newton's not in their future, but in all reality, Kyle Allen's probably not either. And then to round out. And give us a nice even number of 10. I'm going to throw in the Chicago Bears because will they move on from Mitch Trubisky? Probably not. In fact, there are a lot of people who think Matt Nagy is the perfect guy to bring Mitch Trubisky along. Okay, maybe he is. I don't know. But there is talk that the Bears could be in the market for Cam Newton. I don't think they'd go for anybody else. I think Trubisky is their guy unless they get Cam Newton. But because there's a possibility of getting Cam Newton, that's why I'm going to put Chicago on this list. So to me, those are the 10 teams most likely to have a new man under center next year. Tennessee, Tampa Bay, Oakland, Carolina, Chicago, Jacksonville, Denver, the LA Chargers, Miami, and Cincinnati. So let's do this ranking system. Again, the four categories are head coach, running attack, receiving attack, and offensive lines. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to rank them 1 through 10 in each category. And then we're going to add up the total score. So let's say a team is number one in the coaching category, number nine in receivers, number two in rushing attack, and number four in offensive line. So one plus nine plus two plus four, that's 16. So 16 is their total score. Lowest total score is the winner. We would determine as the best landing spot for a quarterback next year. Let's start with the coaches category. Let me give you my rankings here. I want to paraphrase this by saying I'm not ranking these coaches as overall head coaches. I'm ranking these coaches as quarterback-specific coaches. So I might have some guys that are lower on the list that probably shouldn't be or maybe guys that are really high on the list that probably shouldn't be in an overall ranking. These rankings are pertinent to determining quarterbacks and which coach would be best for a quarterback. And number one, I'm going with Bruce Arians of this group that is very likely to have a new guy under center next year. I'm going with Bruce Arians as the best coach of that group that a quarterback could ask for. Number two, Matt Nagy. I know, I know, but he comes from that Andy Reid coaching tree and he's brought there to be a quarterback whisper. Matt Nagy has been successful with quarterbacks in the past, so I'm going to put him at number two. Zach Taylor at number three. Think about it. Jared Goff went to the Super Bowl last year with Zach Taylor as his quarterback coach. Now they're 7-7 as Taylor leaves to take over a Cincinnati squad that could very well get the number one overall pick this year, very likely will. Zach Taylor I'm going to go with as the number three overall coach. Number four, John Gruden. Number five, Anthony Lynn. Those two guys aren't necessarily quarterback guys, but they're good offensive guys and they're innovators. Number six, I'm going to go with Mike Vrabel. I know he's a defensive-minded head coach. As far as assistants go, the Titans have the right guys in place on the offensive side of the ball. Arthur Smith has quietly been one of the most successful offensive assistant coaches throughout the NFL. I think that he would be beneficial to any quarterback that was in his system. Number seven, I'm going with Doug Marone. I know he's an offensive guy. I have him ranked below Mike Vrabel. But has any quarterback really excelled under Doug Marone between Blake Bortles and Nick Foles with what just went on? I like Garner Minshew. I do. I really do. But do you feel like Minshew is successful because of Doug Marone? I don't. I don't feel like any quarterback has been overly successful because of Doug Marone. Number eight, I'm going with Brian Flores, a defensive-minded coach. Number nine, Vic Fangio, a defensive-minded coach. And then at number 10, well, we don't know who the Panthers coach is going to be next year. Right now, it's a defensive-minded guy. And Perry Fuel, I don't think he'll be the head coach next year. So that's why the Panthers are going to get number 10 as far as coaches. So that's where we're at right now in the standings. Again, as far as coaches go, who would benefit a quarterback? Bruce Arians, Matt Nagy, Zach Taylor, John Gruden, Anthony Lynn, Mike Vrabel, Doug Marone, Brian Flores, Vic Fangio, and the TBD, whoever the Panthers get. Let's move on to running backs. Which quarterback would go into a situation with a great running attack? Well, that's pretty obvious. To me, it's Carolina. Carolina would have the best running attack with Christian McCaffrey, what he can do as versatile as he is. He's going to take a lot of pressure off whoever plays quarterback for Carolina next year. Number two, Tennessee and Derrick Henry, who's continuing to get better year by year. And number three, Josh Jacobs and the rookie year that he's had with Oakland. And they hit a home run with that draft pick. They really did. Number four, Leonard Fournette. What he can do, run the footballs already over 1,000 yards this year, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, he'll take a lot of pressure off a quarterback. I put him slightly ahead of Joe Mixon, who I have at number five. I think Fournette's a better pass catcher than Mixon. That's why I'm going to give him the tiebreaker. Number six, the LA Chargers rushing attack, because we don't know what that's going to look like next year. Will they have Melvin Gordon? Will they not? The uncertainty there is why I have them at number six. Austin Eckler's fine, one of the better pass catching backs in football, but he's not that speed merchant that thrives in the NFL. Number seven, I'll go with David Montgomery, a guy who's being way underutilized in Chicago. They need to give him more touches. He cannot be touching the ball less than 20 times per game because he's more talented than some of the guys that I ranked ahead of him. I really do believe that, but he's being held back in Chicago. He's not being utilized there. Number eight, I'll go with Philip Lindsay. Number nine, Ronald Jones in Tampa Bay. And then at number 10, Miami's rotating a few backs. They've got Miles Gaskin in there. They've got some guy named Laird starting for him right now. Those are my rankings at the running back position. Carolina, Tennessee, Oakland, Jacksonville, Cincinnati, L.A., Chicago, Denver, Tampa Bay, and Miami. I know I'm running through these in the interest of time, but let's go to wide receiver. We can include tight ends in here too. Who would be the biggest receiving threats for a quarterback if he got to a new team next year? Well, for me, it's pretty easily Tampa Bay. When you factor in those two wide receivers they have, those two stud wide receivers, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Mike Evans is hurt right now, and Jameis Winston through for 400-plus yards yesterday. By the way, Jameis is now the first quarterback in NFL history to put up back-to-back 400-plus yard games. Isn't that amazing? He did that without Mike Evans yesterday. Now he's going to have to do it without Chris Godwin, who's probably out with a hamstring injury for at least a week. They've got good tight ends, too, between Cameron Bray, O.J. Howard, who hasn't gotten involved nearly as much as he should. Tampa Bay right now has the best receiving core that a young quarterback could step into. Number two, I'd say the Chargers led by Keenan Allen, Chargers would probably have my vote. Number three, let's go with Jacksonville, DJ Chark, D.D. Westbrook, and then they've got a good group of tight ends that they spread the wealth between. They've got Chris Conley, they've got O'Shaughnessy, they've got a lot of young guys at the tight end position that they spread the wealth between, and they've got options in that sense. They can go with three tight ends at any point on the field. Number four, we'll go with Carolina. Debo Samuels emerges here. DJ Moore's emerges here. You've got Jarius Wright. You've got Greg Olson sometimes. And then, of course, you can factor in McCaffrey to the passing game. At number five, we'll go with Oakland. Their best receiver is their tight end. And Darren Waller. They've got a few guys that can't step up between the Renfros of the world. Number six, we'll go with Cincinnati, led by Taj Boyd. Tyler Eifert, when he's healthy, is an effective tight end. Number seven, let's go with Tennessee. Number eight, Denver. Number nine, Chicago. They don't have a lot there outside of Allen Robinson. Other than last week when they ruled the Dallas Cowboys with J.P. Holtz, they really haven't had a tight end passing attack this year. And then at number 10, we'll go with the Miami Dolphins. Between Parker and Gasicki, I mean, they're okay, but they haven't been overly effective this year. And then quickly, let's go to the offensive line rankings. Now, I am using these rankings based off information from footballoutsiders.com because I'm not an NFL lineman analyst by any stretch. I'm going to take advice from guys who actually do evaluate linemen, do a good job with it. So in that sense, I have Oakland, as the top offensive line unit based on the metrics found at footballoutsiders.com. Oakland would be the top offensive line unit of this group, followed by Tennessee, Denver, the Chargers, Carolina, Tampa Bay, Jacksonville at seven, Chicago, Cincinnati, and then Miami. So real quick here, because we're coming up against the break, let me give you the totals. Let me add all these up if you take all those position groups and where they're ranked. Lowest score wins the best landing spot of the most likely teams to have a new quarterback next year with a score of 13 would be the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders, because they came in at number four as far as coaches, at number three in terms of running backs, number five in wide receivers, and number one in terms of offensive line. Oakland has the lowest score at 13. Then you've got Tennessee, Tampa Bay, and the Chargers, all with 17. Carolina has a score of 20. Jacksonville at 21, Cincinnati at 23, Chicago at 26, Denver at 28, and then Miami at 38. Miami ranking last place in terms of running attack, offensive line, and wide receiver group. 8th out of 10 in terms of head coach is beneficial to a quarterback. So that's my list in terms of teams that are likely going to have a new quarterback next year. Which would be the best spot for a quarterback to come in and immediately be successful? Well, the rankings say Oakland, the Oakland Raiders, if Derek Carr does not return next year. Again, all that can change in the draft. Teams bolster themselves at certain positions, free agency, what have you. Coaches still may get fired. A lot can change. But right now, if you're stepping into any situation and want to be successful immediately, Oakland is probably your best bet. Let's take a time out when we come back. Speaking of quarterbacks, we're going to continue on with quarterbacks, but at the college level, what if we've been going about recruiting quarterbacks all wrong? Next on ESPN, UP.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
0: If you missed any today's show, get caught up with the Sports Pen Podcast On Demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com and check out the On Demand there. Tanner Hoops with you, glad to have you along as we wind down this Monday afternoon. Hey, don't forget tonight, Westwood Patriot girls basketball right here on ESPN. PNUP. We have the boys game at Ishpeming Friday. We're going to start the new week with the girls matchup in the arch rivalry. By the way, Westwood's Madeline Kosky nine points away from hitting the 1000 mark in her career. What a great career that she's had. A chance to do it tonight, and you can hear it right here on ESPN UP. It's my hope that you join us pregame right around seven with tip off set for seven fifteen. Again, all depending how JV goes. JV's gone a little long in the first couple of games that we've had here this year. But let's get to this here. I got a couple of things I want to bring up to you before we call it a day here in the Sports Pen. And let's start with a little college football quarterback talk. This weekend, the Heisman Trophy was awarded to LSU quarterback Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow could not start for Ohio State at quarterback. So he transfers to LSU and then beats Georgia, whose backup quarterback is now at Ohio State. Really, their third-string quarterback, Justin Fields, is at Ohio State because, you remember, Jacob Fromm and Jacob Eason were the two guys ahead of Justin Fields. Now, Fields is at Ohio State, starting where Joe Burrow couldn't. Burrow just beat out Fields for the Heisman, and all the while, Alabama is at home because they benched their quarterback, who would go on to be a Heisman finalist and just took Oklahoma to the college football playoff. Did you get all that? Think about that. Joe Burrow, who just won the Heisman Trophy, couldn't start at Ohio State. So he goes to LSU, who throttles Georgia a couple of weeks ago. Georgia's backup quarterback is starting at Ohio State, where Joe Burrow couldn't. Meanwhile, Alabama's at home because they bench a quarterback who just took Oklahoma to the college football playoff. That's the quarterback scenario in college football right now. So what can we learn from that? What can we take away from that? You hear all the talk about four five-star recruits. Your school just landed a five-star quarterback from California. Your school's got a four-star dual-threat quarterback from Florida. You hear all this about the recruits, the highly touted guys out of high school you got coming in. Maybe the guy who's going to lead your program to the college football playoff and beyond, maybe he's not a four- or five-star recruit coming out of high school. Maybe the new trend in college football is that your future quarterback, your star program quarterback, is on somebody else's roster right now. Right now, the college football transfer portal, as far as quarterbacks go, is hot as ever. You look what happened this year alone. Of course, Burrow Fields, Hertz and company, yeah, they were the stars. They couldn't start at their respective schools. They couldn't beat a different guy out. And now all three of them were not only Heisman finalist quarterbacks this weekend, but all three of their teams are going to play in the college football playoff. What about some other good programs that benefited from the transfer portal? Michigan's not in the college football playoff, But Shea Patterson has certainly been an upgrade over guys like John O'Corn, needless to say. They plucked him out of Ole Miss. Tate Martell knew he wasn't going to start at Ohio State, so he goes to Miami. And he doesn't start there either. They have two other guys that they put ahead of him, so much in the sense that he goes to wide receiver. Brandon Wimbush started three games for Notre Dame last year. That included a win over Michigan. By the end of the year, he was benched, and he decided that he was going to go play for UCF this year. Notre Dame, that was in the college football playoff last year, he was part of that. He started three games at the beginning of the year, and then one more when Ian Book was hurt late in the season against Florida State. And then he has to transfer out. How about Shane Bouchelle? He couldn't beat out Sam Ellinger at Texas, so he goes to Louisiana Tech. Now they're in a bowl game. You've got the guy that Sam Ellinger... His name escapes me. The guy that Sam Ellinger beat out for the starting spot in camp. Not Shane Bouchelle, but the guy who actually went through camp and Ellinger beat him out. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. He played at Texas. He started out at Texas, but he wasn't going to start. So he transfers to Utah, who came within one game of making the college football playoff this year, and doesn't start there either. Because Huntley, Tyler Huntley, transfers into Utah, and he takes over the starting job. My point is, the transfer portal is hot as ever for a college football quarterback. Maybe the new trend for college football is you're not going to start looking at the highly touted recruits coming out of high school. You're not going to be looking for the next four or five-star blue-chip guy to run your offense out of high school. Maybe the analytics shift to looking at who's the best backup in college football. Who's got the most depth at the quarterback position? Who's got the skill set that you could plug into your offense and be successful immediately with, but isn't getting their shot at their respective school? Maybe that's the way that college football is trending now. You see, prior to Saturday night when Joe Burrow won the Heisman, we only had one quarterback since World War II that had transferred from another Division I school and won the Heisman Trophy. Think about it. I'm not talking about JUCO guys. I'm not talking about moving up from a D2, D3. I'm saying one major college football program to another and winning the Heisman Trophy. He couldn't start at one school of equal value, but he could go somewhere else and win the Heisman Trophy. We've only had one of those guys prior to this year since World War II. You know who that was? It was Cam Newton back in 2010. Cam Newton was the only one who transferred D1 to D1 and won the Heisman Trophy since World War II. That was in 1945 when Doc Blanchard won the Heisman Trophy. And you think about the way that he transferred, started at South Carolina, then he went to the war, and then finished his career at Army where he won the Heisman. So he had a little bit different reason for entering the transfer portal. World War II was his reason. Cam Newton, Joe Burrow, didn't take that path necessarily. But that appears to be the way that college football is trending. Your next star quarterback may not be coming out of high school. He may not be getting ready for his high school graduation. He might already be at the college ranks. I'm not talking about Juco. I'm not talking about bringing up a D2 or D3 guy. I'm saying the analytics are going to start to shift toward the transfer portal. Coaches are no longer going to be recruiting in the traditional sense. Guys coming out of high school. But the new trend will be looking for the next guy that's on somebody else's roster. That's going to be the trend to keep an eye on here as college football develops here in the near future. What I want to end the day with, though, is talking about the New England Patriots and the potential Spygate 2 scandal. Now, I was kind of poking fun at it in our opening segment. The Patriots blew out the Bengals yesterday, but it was a three-point game at halftime. I jokingly said, it was a joke by the way, that Belichick let the Bengals score early on to keep them close to prove that they weren't cheating by filming the Bengals last week, December 8th. Then they turned it on in the second half and they blew their doors off to say, we did this, we won this game with our halftime adjustments because of how we scheme and adjust at halftime. Well, Fox Sports got a hold of the actual videotape that the Bengals caught the Patriots filming on December 8th in Cincinnati. Only the Bengals and the NFL had the tape. I don't know how Fox Sports got it, but eventually made its way to our network. It was on get-up this morning. It made its way to Golic and Wingo, then to the Dan libertard Show with Stu Gatz, and now here. So I want to thank all of those organizations for the following clip, which I'm going to play the audio from for you here in a moment. And you take a listen to this, is it incriminating? I gotta tell you, it doesn't sound good, and we know that. It's not a good look, but then you actually hear it. To hear it, visualize it, see it, it's a whole different thing. Take a listen.
1: And this is a piece you're filming on your Advanced Scout? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, guys. I don't see the
0: advanced scout in this footage.
1: No, that's not. We were trying to get some field perspective Find that. That's not the field. I, mean, and I, I don't know why you would think you could take that. I didn't know. I didn't know. Did 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 but I can delete this right here for you. Damage is done, my friend. No business, it isn't, because we deleted it. Once again, it's twenty two yards on the pond. I can't. No twenty nine yards. There's no way I can get that point back. I'm being honest with you, and I don't have a computer to, like to put it that way. this card, that's it. Yeah, I, I don't see the advance
0: scout in this video. This shoot. No I don't know about you, but listening to the craft videographer—I won't say patriot videographer—because technically he's not employed by the team. He's employed by the team's owner, but still, they're all under the same umbrella. If you listen to his voice, it is quivery. It's a little bit of an indictment in some sense. He knows he's doing something wrong. You can hear it in his voice. He just isn't sure of what he's doing. There's fear in his voice. And you hear the Bengal security guard say multiple times, if this is a video on your advanced scout, this Do Your Job series, why isn't the advanced scout in this footage? The Bengals were taping everything that this video crew was taping, and they got about eight minutes worth of the Bengals' sidelines, filming their substitutions, coaches relaying in signals. I get it, Kay. I majored in digital media in college. I get that B-roll is a big part of what you got to do as a film crew. I went into radio, but I've got experience doing TV work. I still do a little bit of video work here with ESPN-UP, and I get B-roll. I really do. But eight minutes worth of it on the sideline? Here's the thing. If the Patriot video crew really did air, it was a total honest to goodness mistake. It was completely unintentional. And this crew, despite being led by someone who's worked there 18 years, really did make a rookie mistake. Explain to me what the point is of having eight minutes of B-roll of the Bangle sidelines, of the Bangle coaches watching their system, how it works, them sending in signals, sending in substitutions. Explain to me what the benefit is of having that as B-roll or having eight minutes of it as B-roll. I think my favorite part of that audio was the Bengal security guard saying, the damage is done, my friend. Because the way he dropped that line Sounded perfect for like a crime movie, an action movie, a spy movie, espionage, if you will, because we potentially have Spygate 2 right here. The way that he says that is just perfect. You can also hear the patriot or craft videographer saying that he'll delete the footage, he'll willingly do it. Well, if you truly are doing nothing wrong and you are trying to do this for a story you need that footage for a story it's essential enough to you that you're going to capture it 8 minutes worth of sideline interaction and it's that essential to your story you don't generally offer to delete it on the spot if you truly are doing nothing wrong what do you have to fear what do you have to fear if you truly are only doing your job which is the title of the series do your job what do you have to fear why should you be intimidated to the point where you say, we can make this all go away if I delete this footage? Now, the Patriots' history certainly is going to factor into this because they did this once back in 2007 with Spygate. So it was this Spygate 2? Well, if you think about it, the punishment last time for the Patriots was loss of draft picks, Belichick was fined, the team was fined. If the NFL is going to come down with a punishment, that would truly deter the Patriots from ever doing something like this again, or walking that line, it's got to be more than money. Because the Kraft family is extremely wealthy. The Patriots organization is extremely wealthy. Bill Belichick is extremely wealthy. If you fine the Patriots, anybody who's involved with them, it's chump change to them. It doesn't matter. Money is not going to be a deterrent. Bill Belichick is not going to miss whatever you find him. It's going to be a drop in the bucket to him. The Patriots, as an organization, will not be deterred. You just saw what happened with Marcus Peters, cornerback for the Baltimore Ravens, did a beer-chug celebration after clinching a playoff spot. Well, he got fined about $14,000. Now, for most of us, that's a lot of money. For some people, probably for about the average American, that could be half a year's salary. For Marcus Peters, that's a drop in the bucket. Coupled with the fact that Bud Light said yesterday, did you hear about this? I love this. Bud Light says they are going to match what Marcus Peters was fined and donate it to a charity of his choosing. I love that. I thought that was great. Toast to Bud Light for that. But I tell you what, money is not a deterrent. Not when you're making what those guys do. If you really want to discourage this kind of behavior from happening in the future, from ever having a potential Spygate three you got to hit them with draft picks. you got to hit them with what could actually affect their path to the Super Bowl. Whether that be suspensions, loss of draft picks, that's what the Patriots care about. That will be a real deterrent. I'd be disappointed if the NFL does find probable cause saying that the Patriots did, in fact, spy on the Bengals. This is, in fact, Spygate 2. And I'm not saying we need to rush to judgment, because the NFL will do its thorough investigation, do its due diligence... I just know from what I heard and saw in that tape, because I did watch it off air, that that's pretty incriminating. To me, that looks incriminating. Are the Patriots guilty? I'm not saying that. But if they are, finding them financially is not enough, will not be enough. The NFL needs to hit the Patriots where it hurts, and that is not in their wallet. With that, we are out of time. I tell you what. The hour just flies by fast. I appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope you join me. It'll be Wildcat Tuesdays here in ESPN-UP. We'll have some Northern Michigan audio. Plus, we'll break down tonight's Monday Night Football Contest when the Saints welcome the Colts. All that and more coming up tomorrow. It's my hope you join me here in a couple of hours for Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball here in ESPN-UP. Signing off from ESPN-UP, WZ, I'm Mingmar. Kit Studios. I'm Tanner Hoops. Have a great rest of your Monday.